welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about negligent parenting so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Wait Till Helen Comes by Mary Downing Hahn. Joining us to discuss this classic middle grade ghost story is Rebecca Mahoney, author of The Valley and the Flood, which will be out on February 23rd, 2021. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me back. Yes, thanks for joining us again. Yes. Um, you may remember Becky from our Jack the Ripper episode. I can't remember the whole title of that book. It was eight it had, miles long. Yeah, it long. had like two subtitles. Like, yeah. I believe it was Jack the Ripper colon case closed dash portrait of a killer. Oh, uh, Or the other the, way. Portrait of a killer case closed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Five Nights at Freddy's, The Silver Eyes, the book that none of us expected to like, and we did genuinely find enjoyable. Yeah, Five Nights at Freddy's, <laughs> the video game, colon, the book, colon, the silver eyes, parentheses, <laughs> better than it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm two for three on uh, discussing good books with you guys. Yeah, and I feel like we should say... I mean, this is, like, a certified best bestseller. This is, like, a good book. And it really would be more fitting to Flashback Summer. But here's the thing, is it's 2020, and everything's bad. And we already read, um, I know this much is true. Like, we've suffered. We've We've suffered suffered a lot. And and we need this, okay? Yes. (laughs) Agreed. Um. So, you know, and it's, and I mean, it's not unprecedented that even outside of Flashback Summer, we will revisit uh, classics. Yeah, we do what we want. Yeah, basically. It's our fucking podcast. Leave us right. alone. God, just, leave us alone. It's 2020. Just leave us alone. Just leave us alone. <laughs> um, I, I mostly wanted to jump ahead in the way of, if you were looking at this and be like, is Worst Bestsellers going to say that Wait Till Helen Comes is bad? And I just wanted to say, like, no. <laughs> we're not <laughs> not really I mean we'll see what we have to say about it but like we didn't pick this in in a sense of like I can't wait to read this shitty book we picked it as like we need it's it's Halloween times and we'd like a spooky little break please yes um in fact I think that we have uh actually recommended this book in the place of other books in the past <laughs> um, I'm not 100% sure, but, like, it sounds like something I would do. Sounds right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, by the way, when Kate and Becky picked this book and they were like, oh, is it is it going to be too scary for you, Renata? And I was like, I know that I do talk about what a coward that I am, but this was a class read-aloud in my fourth grade class. And I was like, I think, I mean, I I don't remember it clearly, but I didn't, like, shrivel up and die in fourth grade, and I feel like probably I can handle it <laughs> as, as an adult, and I'm, I'm so proud to announce that I did. <laughs> it's, it's gently spooky. It's like a tight, chilly hug from a ghost. Yeah, yeah, it's more, like, emotionally devastating, just about the effects of, like, that a blended family and PTSD can have, and... And, you know, that's that's affecting even without a ghost in it. But it does have a ghost in it. It does indeed. Becky, knowing you as I do, and also we've probably discussed it, but it's quarantine, so I can't remember. Um, you read this as a youth, correct? I, I did indeed. 
and it's been a long time, so I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up. Um, but I cracked it open one afternoon and I read it in one sitting. It is still as just as compelling as it was uh, when I was a kid tearing through all the middle grade horror I could get my hands on. Yes. I I also uh, read it, obviously, as a youth. Uh, and interestingly enough, so I did it as an audiobook. Because I was like, ah, oh, it's available on audio. Like, I'll do that so I can, like, re... I can kind of refresh my very, very, very bad memory. Um, worse now than ever before. Um, while also, <laughs> like, doing other work that I need to be doing. And I almost wish I had read it instead with my eyes. Um, not just to replicate that, like, ah, uh, being 10 and, like, reading this book like as fast as my little fingers can turn the pages, but also because as an adult, I still enjoy the spookiness. I still enjoy the children's elements of the stories, but as an adult looking at the parenting choices of the parents in this book and the way they treat these children, it was so frustrating to me that like, I wished I could just like skim the page and keep going and not have to hear every word of every shitty thing they said to these children. I didn't think of that when you mentioned the audiobook, and that must've been excruciating because Gene and Dave, every time they open their mouths. Gene and Dave, get it together. Get it together. Yeah. Yeah, this book, um, published in 1986, so this book is approximately our age in, in years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary Downing Hahn, if you're unfamiliar with this book um, or with her larger works, she was like a, I think she's, is she Canadian? I don't know. She she's a, a she is like a million kids middle grade um, horror books, much like uh, you know a, a Betty Renwright or a Vivian Van Velt. Like there were Bruce Covell, just there would be like a little spot on the library shelf that was just all of her books, and of course like all of them were like republished at the same time in like the early to mid nineties, so they all had like the same style covers. And you could just, like, as you were looking at the shelf, see them and zero in on them and, like, read through and see if there's any that you haven't already pulled out to read, you know, which which I did obsessively with all of those authors that I just mentioned. Um, you know, there's a real, a real, she's very good at, like, just, like, drilling down into that core of, like, you know, 10-year-old spookiness, mm-hmm. um, which I, I did deeply appreciate as a child, desperate for spooky things. Uh-huh. Um, was not even quite spooky enough for me as a child, but, you know, I would take anything with a ghost in it I could get my hands on. Yeah, because this isn't very, this is more, like I said, more emotionally spooky than, like, sincerely spooky. Mary yeah. Hahn is American. She's still alive, by the way. She was born in 1937 in Washington, D.C., and she's a former school librarian. <gasps> no wonder there was no microfilm. She knew that librarians did have a purpose. She knew it. <laughs> and she's still writing. She had a book come out in 2019 called Guest, A Changeling Tale. Oh my god. She's still out there. I haven't read this one. I, I know the name. And like I said, we read this as a class read aloud in fourth grade, which I, I remember that 
I, don't, I didn't remember, like, the plot of the book, but it sort of stuck with me, and the name stuck with me. Um, I'm looking at her Wikipedia page. She has written a lot of books. I haven't read any of the other ones, because I was not the child who's going to seek out a spooky book. Thank you. I will say, I did know she was alive, because when I was Googling something about this book, a movie came up, which is why I was like, is she Canadian? Because... They made a movie of it in Canada. Mm -hmm. I have (laughs) seen the movie. I haven't. I almost, I wish I had discovered it before last night because I would have watched it before this. From reading the Wikipedia summary of the movie, it seems like it was very different. Yeah, I, I don't recall the plot of the movie very well. Because honestly, I was, I was quite distracted by Michael, who exuded what I can only describe as this very sensible lesbian energy. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. My, I checked this book out in print from the library. Um, and it has a, it has the little sticky on it that says soon to be a major motion picture. And I was like, wait, is it? When did they make a movie? And then I looked it up and the movie came out, I think in 2016, but it was a TV movie, which I would not call a major motion picture. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so why don't we why don't we describe the book? Then we can, I guess. Then we can, we can describe take a break book. and watch the movie. Okay. Yeah. New podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the the core of Wait Till Helen Comes is that it's a book about a blended family. Um, Michael and Molly. And their mom, Jean, um, their mom, Jean, has recently married a man named Dave, who has a seven-year-old daughter named Heather. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dave's late wife died in a house fire that Heather also uh, had to be rescued from. And because of that, at least that's the excuse he gives, and that's the excuse that Jean gives for him. He's very protective of her, and he babies her a lot. Um, and she, she acts yeah, she's much... seven now. She was three in the fire, so it's been you know four years. She acts she acts much younger than she is um, constantly, and it is a point of contention for Molly and Michael, who feel like she uses that in order to manipulate the adults to be on her side when she purposely picks fights with um, the two older kids, and she and she does it pretty constantly she will like hurt herself and say they did it or claim that they're teasing her or like make up elaborate stories about them excluding her uh, and just constantly kind of get them in trouble with the adults who never seem to believe that uh, she is the one behind it yeah so the the parents you know, believe, believe Heather over uh, Michael and Molly constantly, even when there's evidence otherwise, and they don't look very far into it ever. They're not good parents. They're not. Um, by the way, the first line of this book is you've bought a church, which I think is, makes this a like spiritual predecessor to we bought a zoo. <laughs> Agreed. We bought it. Oh. We bought a church. It's haunted. Yeah, because <laughs> um, they the parents. So here's here's my first. So obviously, all the stuff I just said about the parents being shitty because they always believe Heather and don't seem to understand that seem to look any more deeper into it is bad. The thing that makes me the most mad is specifically about the dad Dave, yeah. who 
they very early on in the book they talk about how like Heather was in the fire and like it definitely fucked her up but it was four years ago now and like she clearly has issues she needs to work through but Dave doesn't believe in therapy so he won't take her to therapy um, yeah and there, there's even a point when Michael's like our our other friend what's his name goes to see a therapist once a week in this other part of town and it's like really helped them like it's not a world because there's sometimes books where like it's just never mentioned or like if it's an older piece of historical fiction but again this is like 1986 there were therapists then Yes, and it is very explicitly said in the text, this little girl needs therapy, but her father, an artist, doesn't believe in it. Even though we, intelligent children who are presented as the protagonists of this book, think that it would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so already I was I was not predisposed to liking Dave, and it did not get any better. Well, well there's... Okay, so that's why Dave sucks. But then Jean also sucks because... She should know, and sometimes she does kind of try to stagger and be like, well, I know my kids, and they wouldn't do the things that Heather is saying they would do. But then instantly she's, like, persuaded, like, never mind, actually, my kids must be monsters, because Heather said they are. And, like, Jean, Jean. Jean can't hold an opinion in her head for more than five seconds in this book without Dave saying, well, actually. She goes, oh, you know what, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. My children are demons. Jean and Dave are both artists. Dave is a sculptor and Jean is a painter. And the reason they have bought a church is because it is, there is an addition onto it. A house has been added uh, as an addition onto the church. A carriage house. A carriage house. And it is um, a perfect place for the two of them to create artist studios. She kind of lies. And this is also why I didn't like Jean. Like the kids, obviously like they're living in town and they have all these plans for the summer. Michael is real into bugs and stuff. Um, like in a naturalist sort of way, not in like a, a weird way. I mean, it is weird, yeah. but not, you know, it's, it's a nerdy kind of weird. Yeah. Um, not, not like a lazy villager in animal crossing who is, who, <laughs> who thinks that the bugs and the floors whisper recipes to him. But, but like a kid who's working on his 4-H entomology badge. Yes. He's a man of science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which comes up a lot. And then Molly is very into reading and writing. Um, and they both had like camps and plans and things they were going to do over the summer. But Jean's like, nope, we're moving to this church in the middle of nowhere. With, with also, seemingly no notice, and, like, I'm not a parent, but, like, you have to break your kids into stuff like that. That's, like, pretty basic um, parenting, I feel like. Yeah. And she and, also... Go on. Oh, uh, just the tone of the first scene was very much the kids going, what about my extracurriculars? And Jean going, sounds like you don't support me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and these kids are 10 and 12. And she does, like, she does lie to them, too. She does, well, like, maybe fib would be a better word. But, like, she's like, oh, like, well, there's a library in town. And there's this and there's that. There's that. And when they get there, they're, like, in the middle of the woods. And she's like, well, there is a library in town. You just have to bike for an hour to get there. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> very, like. And then she gets mad at them when they go. Yeah. yeah. It's very everything about it is I'm kind of like this is this is bad. These children are raising themselves. This isn't good. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so they do move to this. Um, they do move to this new house. Uh, and By new house, you mean old haunted church? Old haunted church. 
Uh, and when they get there, Molly notices that there is a graveyard behind the church, and she does not like that. Yes. I love Molly. She is, like, the scaredy cat protagonist that I relate to and that I deserve. Like, this is a representation that I deserve of someone who's (laughs) like, nope, this is haunted. I don't like it. I want to go back. I don't like it. There is definitely a ghost here. And Evan's like, shut up, Molly. (laughs) Whereas, like, there's a graveyard behind my parents' house, and I'm super into it. Actually, I haven't been up there in a while. I should, next time I'm in Parsippany, I should head up and see how that little graveyard's doing. Yeah, check in on Helen. Yeah, make sure she's doing okay. Not drowning any kids. (laughs) (laughs) There is a creek back there, too, actually. Hmm. Uh Uh-oh. You have to provide extracurricular enrichment for your ghosts, otherwise they will just start killing children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they, um... They unpack Heather's a little piece of shit to them pretty constantly, and she has to share a room with Molly, which Molly's not, like, fucking thrilled about. Yeah. And they meet Mr. Simmons. Mm -hmm. Mr. Simmons, okay. I couldn't remember his name earlier, and I had to ask them to remind me. Yes. (laughs) Um, They meet Mr. Simmons, and he is the... He's, he's the caretaker, but also, like, the information delivery man who's like, oh, yes, like, um, you know, it, it's not haunted, but uh, kids have drowned around here. Like, be careful. Um, and Heather is, he's like, be careful because there's snakes and stuff. Like, I don't believe in ghosts, but there are snakes and poison ivy. And Heather's like, you're not my dad. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, and then she, and then she's like, why aren't you taking care of this grave? And he's like, there's not a grave under that tree. And she's like, yes, there is. And she shows him, and she's found this, like, small abandoned grave. It's like it's been knocked over, but there is a little grave there for a girl who died in the late 1800s, and she would have been seven. Actually, we don't know it's a girl. It's just the initials. It just says H-E-H. Yes. Heather is particularly interested in because those are also her initials. Yeah, and she is currently seven. Yes. So uh, not long after that, I believe when um, Heather is off playing, uh, Molly overhears her talking to someone and like talking to this like new friend, Helen, who she thinks like, oh, like maybe she has an imaginary friend and Michael's like, yeah, like I used to have an imaginary friend. She's like, yeah, like when you were two, this is, this was weird. Like it felt different. Like maybe it's a ghost. And Michael's like, there's no fucking such thing as ghosts. I'm a scientist. You're a hysterical woman. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is easier to take from him because he's 10. Yes. It's kind of a Mulder and Scully vibe, but gender swapped and they're children. Yes, which is interesting because prior to Mulder and Scully, it you the the way that that usually worked it was usually like skeptical man mm-hmm. believer woman and then i feel like Mulder and Scully kind of turned it on its head and became such a cultural phenomenon that now that's the lens we look at it from but that's a whole other podcast yeah. <laughs> that i could do about tropes in horror and genre fiction um so uh molly start, or uh, heather starts using helen to threaten um, Molly and Michael saying like, well, she says, Helen- she says the title of the book, wait till Helen wait comes. Till Helen yes. And and it's very much like a wait till your father comes home. But instead of like, you know, your dad in an eighties movie, it is a ghost child who's going to fuck you up. Yes. 
Um, and Heather has a tarnished silver locket that has her initials slash Helen's initials on it as well. Um, so Molly at this point is fairly certain that Helen ha- Heather has a new ghost friend, but no one will believe her. Um, she finds Helen like out by the pond, the pond that previously Mr. Simmons had been like, oh yeah, like little girls drown in there mysteriously every few years. But you know, we never really look into it. Um, That's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, drown. Yeah. I mean, he, he he tells them to stay away from it, but he's also like, it's not haunted. It's just a deep pond. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that that many seven year old girls have drowned in, but that's just a coincidence. It's fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's also like an abandoned, burned out house out there that Molly finds Heather playing in. Um, and at this point, Heather has like thrown like nine or ten or twenty tantrums, blaming Molly and Michael for things. So, like Molly is very like strategic about how she brings it up to her mom and very casually is like, ah, like there's a burned out house out there. Like, I think maybe there was a fire and now like all that's left is like rickety remains. And her mom's like, ha, that's interesting. And she's like, yeah. And you know, I think I saw Heather playing around it. So maybe you should just like warn her or have Dave warn her that she probably shouldn't be over there. And she's like, oh yeah, okay, I guess we'll do that. But also like, you're supposed to be watching her. So it's really your fault if she goes over there, which Right. Ah, you can't see the face I'm making or the way I'm waving my arms in the air, but oh my God. Right. Did you know an eldest daughter is a suitable replacement for a child therapist? <laughs> well, and, and it's so, because they've gotten very hands off with Heather, because if they do try to play with her or try to interact with her in any way, she always goes and is like, Dave, they pushed me or like, Dave, they like, I just wanted to play and they were bullying me. So then they're kind of like, well, if if we just don't talk to her at all, then she can't say shit about us. But then it becomes, well, you abandoned her and you neglected her, and it just sucks. Like these, and and this book is so um, good at showing the really kind of impossible situation these kids are in with regards to like Heather and their parents. Like it's it perfectly captures this like complete unfairness of tweendom, yes. where like yeah. It's it's really well done. Yeah, the whole, like, honestly, like, for being published in 1986, ev- everything about this book feels very deliberately, like, well chosen to be just, like, very, like, timelessly reflective of what it is like to be that age. Yeah. Yes. Just emotionally. It's so good to the point where I was reading and just so frustrated at what Molly was trying to navigate um, mm-hmm. pretty well, in fact, but everything was stacked against her. Yeah, like the the only thing I think you would need to change to make this like, quote unquote, modernized is like maybe throw in one reference to how they're, the the town they live in is so remote, there's not reliable Wi-Fi. Ooh, like, yeah. That, literally is all you would have to do and I would 100% like not even question that this was written this year yeah because even like Molly has a Walkman and she listens to tapes on it but I am here to tell you as a teen librarian well in 2019 anyway teens were bringing in their cool vintage Walkmans and they're like look what I got online I was like what are you doing we have better options now and they're like no look how cool it is so like you you wouldn't even have to change the Walkman 
I was uh, just wishing that Molly had access to a phone so that she could take a video of Heather doing the shit she was doing. Um, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but so um, she tells she tells Jean this. She tells her mom about like the house, and she's like, "Oh, we'll tell her." But like, whatever. Like, it's your job. There is there's like another day dawns, and they're like, "Well, we don't." Heather's out with her father in his workshop, and their mom is busy painting and they're like, well, we're going to go to the library because, you know, mom told us that we could just ride our bikes to the library and everyone's busy and we like, don't want to get into shit with Heather today. So they go to the library and the helpful librarian is like, ah, like I know all about the ghosts that live out by your new church house. Let me tell you about them. Let me tell you about this family that lived in a house back there and how, uh, the parents died in a fire and the seven-year-old girl ran out of the fire, but then ran into the pond and drowned in the pond, which is just like so tragic, but also so like, ah, shit, like, ah, oh, fire. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what I wanted either. <laughs> yeah. And they um, they were able to find the, the little girl's body and they buried her in the graveyard with just like a temporary marker because they were like, well, we'll find our parents and we'll like bury them all together in like one tomb. But then they never found the parents' bodies. So instead, like there's just this sad temporary marker in the graveyard where this seven-year-old girl is buried that everyone in town except this librarian has forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So that, and she also tells them about like, you know, Mr. Simmons had previously mentioned like, oh yeah, like a bunch of seven-year-old girls have drowned in this pond, but whatever. And she like very specifically says like, oh yeah, like there are stories that it is a ghost that has lured those girls out into the pond. Yeah. And like, of course ghosts aren't real, but this is a dangerous pond that we're just leaving around. Bye. Yes. Yeah. And the ages of everybody who drowns there just happens to be the same but you know what these things happen yeah, well yeah. W- once you once you hit 8 you are a better swimmer that's true <laughs> that's just science. Science. Mm-hmm. michael yeah. could tell us that yeah um so molly is all on at this point she's like i know there's a ghost i know helena's a ghost i know she's doing something to heather like this is bad and like i hate heather but also, like, somebody should be addressing this, probably. Not me, the 12-year-old. Yeah. But again, no one listens to Molly. Yes. Um, they get back from the library, and Dave and Jean are, like, so pissed at them for going to the library because it meant Heather was on her own, and, like, they found her in the pond. And they were like, well, what were we supposed to do? Like, you told us not to bother you in your studio. And we wanted to go to the library, and Heather was with her dad. Like, maybe you should have checked to see if we were there before you sent Heather out to be watched by us without telling us about it. But no, they're so mad at Michael and Molly that, like, Dave and Heather leave to go out to dinner and, like, won't even, like, look. Like, Dave won't even look at Gene. He's so mad at the kids for going to the library. Yeah. And also... I also I don't think we've made it clear that not only is Heather shitty to the kids, but she's also very actively always trying to drive a wedge between Jean and Dave. Like her end goal is clearly like, okay, our parents just got married to each other, but I want them to get divorced. And I want it to be just me and Dave again, which I feel like is a pretty, um, you know, that's not an unheard of reaction for like younger kids in this kind of situation. But Dave is just so like, 
Yeah, you know what? Like, Heather's right about all of this. And so so Heather will do stuff like, oh, Dad, I heard Jean, like, saying shit about you. And Dave's like, Jean, how could you? And she's like, what? I didn't? Like, what? And especially, like, it's especially shitty because, like, Jean tries to defend the kids to David a couple of points and says like, I don't know why you think they're doing this. Like when we announced we were getting married, they were so happy. Like you were there. They were genuinely excited. Heather was the one who was like, I don't want this to happen. Like, it doesn't make any sense that they would be doing this. And he's like, no, Heather is perfect. And she's like, Oh, I guess you're right. Heather is perfect. <laughs> like, it's yeah. very, even though Heather is like actively a little witch to her. Yeah. And also, even privately, sometimes Jean talks to Michael and Molly. She's like, well, I I know Heather's very hard to love, but we just have to try. And like, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, my friend. So um, Dave takes Heather out to dinner and then like comes and Jean is so upset about like the fight that like she doesn't even want to eat. So she goes on a walk and leaves Michael and Molly to, to feed themselves. Like she made the dinner, but she's like, yeah, like eat it. Like I'm leaving. And she goes on a walk and they're just like, what the fuck is up with this stupid family we're in? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then that night, Heather admits to Molly. She wants, um, she, she is actively trying to break the family up that she like her end goal is her and Dave leave forever. Yeah, um, with her friend Helen, because Helen's the other one, the only one who understands her, and Helen's her true sister, and fuck Molly. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, Molly sees her during the night get out of bed and sneak out the window into the graveyard, so she follows her, and while, once she has followed her, she sees in the graveyard her talking to a ghost, to Helen, mm-hmm. and saying, like, you know, things like, oh, like dad can come to my dad can come too, right? Like, and it'll be you and me and my dad and we can all be together and not have to worry about like my shitty step family. And, you know, Molly's basically like yikes and leaves uh, and scrambles back in through the window and into bed and pretends to be sleeping when uh, Helen reappears. And then when Helen reappear or Heather reappears and when Heather reappears, like she whispers into Molly's ear, like, I'm going to make our parents get a divorce and you'll be gone forever or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Heather's very open about her end game. Yeah. Heather's manifesting. She's actualizing. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so the next day, like they're the parents, when Molly wakes up, she brings Michael out and she's like, look, like we walked out here in the middle of the night and like there was the graveyard where we saw the ghost and there, and he's like, well, I don't think, Heather could get in and out of the window. So she brings him over to the window where there's like a box under the window and Heather wakes up and like taunts them and then screams for the parents and says, they're spying on me. And the parents are like, yeah, you're spying on her. Yeah. Which like Molly already shares a room with Heather. Like it's fucked. These parents are fucked. Yeah. Um, Really? They go out shopping for the day and take Heather and the other two are like, fine, we're going to go in the fucking swamp, I guess. And uh, Molly helps Michael collect all of his new specimens. And when they come back, they hear someone in the house, but the, the family's minivan isn't hasn't returned yet. So Molly thinks she sees Helen on the back porch and freaks out. And Michael is just like someone has broken into our house and is freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. And when the family comes back, they tell them and they call the police and 
Uh, well, and then when they go inside, they see that, like, all of Michael and Molly's stuff is, like, smashed. Like, all of Michael's bug jars are smashed, and, um, you know, Molly's books have been knocked off the shelf. But meanwhile, Heather's side of the room is pristine, and, like, the kind of common areas are pristine, and then all of Jean's painting stuff is fucked up and, like, paint smashed on the ground, and all of Dave's pottery stuff is fine. And so it's, and honestly, I was sort of afraid that the parents were going to be like, well, obviously, Mo, like, obviously Molly and Michael did this to frame Heather, but they don't actually do that. Um, I was waiting for that, too. Yeah. I was terrified. Um, and, and Jean, and we do see, we do have a hint here of, like, partly maybe why, like, this is not a family with a lot of extra money to spare. Like, they've clearly spent all of their extra capital in getting this, like, church and graveyard, and Jean's like... Well, I was counting on selling those paintings, like, for our income, and, like, now we don't have the paintings, now we don't have the paint, and, like, I don't know what we're gonna do for money, and the cop is, like, uh, and, oh, and, and Michael, Michael tells the cop that Molly saw a ghost, and Molly's, like, shut up, why would you say that, no one's gonna believe me, and the cop's, like, haha, yeah, it's pretty scary with the graveyard, but probably we'll never catch whoever did this, goodbye. <laughs> uh, and they don't. Well, the cops don't, anyway can't arrest a ghost i mean not with that attitude yeah i mean a ghostbuster could but yeah that's true um and another thing that happens is in the destruction molly sees on the wall in old-timey handwriting i have come signed h-e-h and when she like points it out to her mother like it's already disappeared from the wall and her mother just thinks like she's being hysterical and blaming heather for no reason Mm -hmm. because of course right because Heather was in town, so it definitely wasn't Heather. Yeah. But it was the other H-E-H. Can't so, stop reading it as heh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, everyone's miserable. Everything's miserable. Yeah, it's it's another day, and Heather, again, tells Molly that, like, only Helen understands her, and soon she's going to be with Helen again. And then she kind of, like, fucks off. And then Molly and Michael talk to Mr. Simmons, the graveyard caretaker, again. And he is like, oh, you know, I wouldn't believe in those ghost stories, except my sister does believe in those ghost stories, so maybe there's something to them. But anyway, I definitely wouldn't let that kid near that pond, though. Like, you should stay away from that pond, like everyone's been saying. And then Molly sees Heather at the pond. Yes. And so she, like, rushes to the pond, and um, and no one else, I, I believe at this point, like, no one, she can't find anyone else, like, no one else is around, mm-hmm. so she's just gonna, like, grab Heather and come back home, because it also looks like it's gonna rain soon, and she sees, she sees Heather talking to someone and discovers that it's Helen, and Helen is convincing Heather to come with her, uh, and they'll be together, and Heather's like, well, what about my dad? Like, you said he could come too, and she's like, oh, well, actually, like, no, we don't need him. And she's and, like, no, but... Yeah, and she's like, my your dad won't understand you like I do. I'm the only one who understands you. And, like, if your dad knew the truth, he wouldn't, um, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't love, love you. you anymore. Yeah. Um. So Helen kind of, like, drags Heather into the pond, but Molly's there. And for a moment, like, Molly also, like, falls under Helen's spell, but then, like, snaps out of it. And it's like, ah shit. So she, like, rushes into the pond to save Heather and like manages to wrestle her away from Helen and then rip off Helen's locket and throw it into the water 
and Helen gets so distracted by going after the locker that she can pull Heather out of the water and into the, um, the remains of the house to try and like get out of the rain that's now falling and get warm or at least get dry. And once they are in the house, uh, the rain and the rotted wood kind of conspire to make the floor collapse. Mm -hmm. So the two of them get trapped in the basement and in the basement, they find the skeletons of Helen's parents, which they, the townspeople clearly did not look that hard. Mm -mm. They were right there. Yeah, they were right there. <laughs> well, under one floorboard. Yeah. One crawl space. Yeah. Uh, and also while they're in the basement, um, you know, H Heather's like very upset and saying like, no, like I need Helen. Why did you take me away from Helen? She's the only one who understands me. Like she knows exactly like she knows like all the worst things I did, like very clearly implies that like he Helen knows something about her that is bad. And at the very beginning um, Molly had said, like, basically along the lines of, like, do you think our stepsister is a sociopath? Like, Yeah, like, I, I, do you think, because they'd watched The Bad Seed on TV, and they're like, do you think she's like that? And do you think she set the fire? And she and Michael are both kind of like, oh, no, she's not that bad. Like, let's be reasonable. Um, and Molly guesses that Heather set the fire and that Helen also started the fire in her house, and Heather admits that that's true, that it was an accident. Like, she was three. It was an accident, and she had been, like, playing with the stove, and the fire started, and she got scared, so she ran and hid. And her mom was looking for her, and she heard her looking, but, like, for some reason she didn't respond. Probably smoke inhalation, I imagine. Uh, and then the firefighters saved her, but they didn't save her mother, and it's all her fault. And if her father finds out he'll like not love her anymore. And so she has to keep it a secret and, you know, like basically like has like the breakdown she should have been having in therapy for the past four years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and she also shares that Helen had shared that she accidentally started the fire in her parents' house as well. Uh, so they had like bonded over that. And, uh, Eventually, Michael brings the parents to come and rescue Heather and Molly from the basement. And Molly, like, says to Heather while they're in the basement, like, I, I will be your sister. Like, if you stop being a shithead to me and Michael, like, we, we want to like you. Yeah. So if you stop treating us like garbage, like, we don't like you less because we know this. You were a baby, you know, but you yeah. need to, like, be a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and she also says, you know, if you tell your dad the truth, like, he'll still love you. You were three. It was clearly an accident. And, like, you should get this off your chest or, you know. Um, and at first Heather's like, no, he'll throw me out. But then um, she, she sort of does agree. Like, okay, I'll tell my dad. And then. I mean, at this point in the narrative, it wouldn't have been like out of left field if he did throw the seven year old out for starting a fire when she was three, based on the way he's been treating these kids. Yeah. But it's like a thing that Dave would do. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Dave. God. Um, but she does, when they get back, like, she does ask her dad if they could, like, have a private talk. 
And Molly says to her mom, like, if I did something really, really bad, would you still love me? And her mom's like, yeah, are you trying to tell me something? And she's like, if I did something so bad that someone died, yeah. <laughs> would you still love me? And her mom's like, um. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, it's not. Uh, Heather accidentally caused the fire that killed her mom. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, thank God. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, so yeah they, they tell Dave the truth and everyone like starts getting along better and Heather like convinces Dave to tell the police that about like Helen's body when they're because they're going to rebury the bodies that they found in the basement and she's like no like the, the Helen's body is there too she has to be buried with them like it's really important um, so they do like they do like a big reburial town funeral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which seemed weird, but okay. As one does. Yeah, you know, it's a cool event. Um because earlier in the earlier in the nar- narrative, Mr. Simmons made a point to say, Oh, this graveyard's full and so we don't use it anymore for active burial. So then it's like, oh what like one last party at this graveyard. <laughs> Before we shut it down. Yeah. That is now someone's private property, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird. Um, and then and then they all get along, they have the burial, and then Helen's sp- spooky locket reappears on the t- reappears. I what it reappeared on her grave and then Heather picked it up, or Heather just had it? Uh, Heather picked it up, I think. Yeah. Um, Heather also has her mother, her father, make a little stone angel sculpture for Helen's grave. Oh, yeah. Right. And then at the reappearance of the locket, Michael finally gets creeped out. Yeah. And but and even at the end of it, like, Jean and Dave are like, oh, and and seeing this little ghost must just must have been a manifestation of her grief. And like, we should have been getting you therapy and it's like, I mean, yes, but also there literally was a ghost, you fucks. <laughs> God. Which is, so it, it's it's a, a trope that used to be, so there there was this, for, for a long time, and like a lot of like spooky and horror media, kind of the, the um, trend was that, like I was saying before, like a woman would see something and the man would be like, oh no, you're hysterical. Or like, oh, I didn't see it. Like, it's all in your head. Um, and that like would be like the driving force of a lot of horror stories and ghost stories in particular, like something weird is happening. A woman sees it and a man is there to be like, "Mm, nah, uh, uh, like you're making it up. Then there was the shift, like probably around the time that people were like, you know, no women, women aren't like, stop making women crazy in all your movies. So then there was a real shift to children to it being a thing that children saw, like children are seeing a ghost, children are, you know, experiencing these weird things, but adults are brushing it off and acting like it's not actually happening, which, you know, is like slightly better, but it also does like for me personally, maybe because I've been in a horror since I was a kid. So it's easy to see myself even as a 35 year old woman, woman in those choose that is like a thing that continues to be frustrating to me in media is seeing you know oh like the kids are saying this is happening but kids are fucking crazy so whatever it's probably not happening um but there has been i would feel it and becky um let me know if you agree 
in recent years, there has been more of a push towards actually also this hat, like men, men being the ones who see the weird shit happening. Like the first thing that pops into my head is sinister. Sinister. Thank you. I was trying to think of an example. Yeah. We're like Ethan Hawke is the one who's seeing all the creepy things and his wife and kids are like, you're fucking nuts. Well, his daughter also sees the ghost girl, but you know, like he's, it's his like insanity quote unquote, that is like pushing it forward. It's not insanity because Sinister is a real demon who's trying to kill his family. I can't remember the demon's name. As a friends group, we just call him Sinister. His name is Sinister. <laughs> um, is he, like, very pale with, like, a red diamond on his forehead? That's He's insidious. Not, but that's, that's what I always think of. Like, whenever we, we decide it collectively to start calling him Sinister, I always think of Mr. Sinister. <laughs> um... Yeah, so so sorry, I got off track there. But yeah, like uh Becky, I don't know if you would agree with with that. Yeah, no, I think it is much more egalitarian than it used to be. Everybody gets to be the hysterical woman now. Uh but I agree. It's very frustrating when you see the children seeing the ghosts and the parents brushing it off trope. Um because, you know, it's a trope for a reason. It's you need it to move the plot forward, but also listen to your kids. Yeah. And, and there are so many, like, there are so many, I feel, very good movies. And by very, so many, I'm thinking explicitly of the two Conjuring movies, where, like, it shows that you can make a really spooky movie where that doesn't happen. Yes. Like, in both the Conjurings, like, the kids are the first people to experience weird things. And then, like, the mothers do, too. But it doesn't take very long for the father in the first conjuring to be like oh no you're right like weird shit is happening like i didn't believe you at first because i was never home for it but like you're right like weird shit's going down here and it still manages to be a scary movie like full of like jump scares and creepy things and you know what feels like this like very weighty like i don't know the word just like escapes my mind but like you know they're it does feel like there's like consequences to this plot that still exist, even though everyone is on the same page of like bad things are happening here. Yeah. Like both the Conjuring movies are a great example. You can still have so much interpersonal tension within the family, even if they all understand that something is happening here. Yeah. It's, I mean, go watch the Conjurings are so good. Um, and also a great example of how like PG 13 horror can still be scary and you can have a horror movie with a happy ending and it doesn't take away from how scary it was. Yes. I mean, for me, what I think personally is just that the lady Ghostbusters ruined everyone's childhood. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and that's why this is happening. I have to agree. (laughs) If the Lady Ghostbusters hadn't happened, they would have been able to arrest that ghost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the men, yeah, they would have gotten it done. (laughs) My roommate's pinned tweet on Twitter is, I'm resisting the urge, it was that she tweeted at Dragon Con one year, to tell all the male Ghostbusters I see that they're ruining my adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I mean, it's just not believable that a bunch of men would be able to see and trap ghosts. Like, I know. It's we- true, yeah. Only Ethan Hawke can see ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Hawke and Fox Mulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Buddy comedy. God, it's just a good movie. I should watch that again. 
It's a very Sinister good... 2 is a bad movie. <laughs> I have never actually seen Sinister 2. Um, I took one look and went, nah. It's kind of worth a laugh. I think it's streaming on Netflix right now. It stars Deputy So-and-So. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, like it's not good. <laughs> but the first Sinister is very good. I'll put that in the, the recommendations. Well, yes. I'm going to go watch some episodes of the X-Men animated series involving <laughs> Mr. Sinister. Because that's all I, that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> um hey should we do sh- back to not to disrupt a uh, horror movie chat the podcast within a podcast but uh, <laughs> how about dramatic readings of this book that we read maybe i guess or we could just oh. break it watch the entirety of sinister okay <laughs> um before actually i did have like one brief the brief thing that i wanted to to bring up um that I totally forgot about is that, so I said earlier that I, I Googled it and I found that there is a movie version of this. And Becky, you said you saw it, but you don't quite remember how it, it was different because I was curious about that. It did seem to imply in the Wikipedia summary that like Heather was so traumatized that she lost the ability to speak after the fire, oh. which feels like it would have taken away a lot of the the driving force of Heather constantly tattling on Michael and Molly for things they didn't do. Yeah, God, that rings a bell. I wish I could remember anything except for Michael's flannels. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not often that you get to see like a real style icon in a 10-year-old like that. It's true. Um yeah, is it the the Wikipedia summary sounded weird and not quite the book, but yeah, okay. Well, I'll, maybe I'll watch it. It's, I think it's, it's on Hoopla. I recall that it was a fascinating watch, even if I absolutely dumped it from my mind afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm now prepared to go on to dramatic readings. Let's do it. The first one, I'm not doing. So you guys do it. <laughs> um, what is the first one? The first one is um, about Jean being not the best mother in the world because these parents aren't great. Um, I, I was going to say the notes just describe it as page 67. Jean is a bad parent. So <laughs> take it away. <laughs> um, I will be Molly and uh, right. Yes. And I will be Jean. Excellent. Okay. We were out in the woods, I said finally, hoping she would assume that we were together. There's an old house way down the creek, just ruins really, and a pond. Heather loves going there, but I think it's kind of dangerous. What do you mean, Molly? I didn't know there were any old houses nearby. Well, it's there, and the pond might be very deep. Not only that, but the walls of the house look like they might fall down any minute. It's not a good place for a kid to play, Mom. And I think you or Dave should tell Heather not to go there. Mom sipped her tea. It doesn't sound very safe, but I'd love to see it. I might want to sketch it. But will you tell Heather she can't go down there? Of course. You know, though, Molly, that Dave and I count on you and Michael to take care of Heather. It's up to you to make sure she doesn't run wild in the woods all day. I try to watch her, but she sneaks away from me the minute my back is turned. And Michael never even tries. He just packs up his binoculars and his other junk and disappears into the woods. 
Mom carried her dishes to the sink and began rinsing them. Molly, you are old enough to be responsible. We moved here so Dave and I would have time to work without worrying about you all. Putting her plate and glass on the counter to drain, she wiped her hands on the seat of her shorts and smiled at me. Go on now, find something to do. I've got to get back to my painting. But I don't have anything to do. Go find Michael. He manages to keep himself very happy. With that, Mom was out of the back door, across the drive, and into the church. Jean! (laughs) You know, Molly, Dave and I moved here so that we didn't have to pay a babysitter and you guys could just get lost in the woods while we neglected you. (laughs) I mean, I know the 80s were a different time, but... The woods are a great babysitter, and they're free. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I know when I was that age in the 90s, like, I definitely sort of, like, roamed the wilderness, but I didn't have a seven-year-old who, A, was deeply traumatized, and B, I was expected to be a babysitter slash therapist for. Mm. Like, because I, yeah. I do feel like with a, a 12-year-old and a, te- a responsible 10-year-old, like, all right, you can kind of let him roam free in this, in your haunted graveyard. Um, but the seven-year-old, it's a whole different thing. especially I feel like because like they're so combative like she's so combative with them like we too were basically left at a certain point to be like okay you can go we had like very strict you can go like as far as your grandmother's house down the street and up to the lake and as far as like a certain point at the lake but like you can't go further than that um without permission like I could ride my bike around the lake and stuff with my friends but um but it also like yeah like they were never like and you have to watch I mean my brother was only two years younger than me and there was never like a you know and you are responsible for taking care of this younger child because I was also a child right yeah and my childhood was much the same but um my brother and I were very close in age so maybe people with um, dramatically younger siblings had a different experience than I did, but I feel like this is a lot. Right. Well, and especially these circumstances of like, oh, it's, it's a new house, like a new household and this new blended family. And clearly it's upsetting for this child. And like, maybe, maybe take some time off from your art, Jean. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and oh, like, even though we have told you multiple times not to do this, we keep finding her over there and it's your fault. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, you've also told her and she keeps doing it. So why is it not her fault? Right. Ugh. Anyway. Heather Ugh. doesn't do anything wrong, Kate. She is a perfectly reliable, traumatized seven-year-old. God. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's move on to uh, the responsible adult of this book, the librarian. who's Yes. Our hero. Perfectly prepared with a file folder of exactly what these kids are looking for. Um, And so, of course, I will be the librarian. Uh, Becky will be Molly. And, oh, I I put my name twice. But Kate will be Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Can I help you find something? A woman asked as I began riffling through the card catalog. I hope so. My sister and I just moved into an old church out on Clark Road, and when we were out in the woods today, we found the ruins of an old house. It looks like it burned down a long time ago. We just wondered if you had any information about it. Oh, yes. I know what house you mean. She led us to a row of file cabinets at the back of the room. We have several files on historical homes in and around Hallwell. 
Is this the house? She laid a newspaper clipping down on the table where we could see it. It burned down about a hundred years ago. A terrible fire. She murmured, pointing to a blurred photograph of the house by the pond. One of our local historians wrote this article several years ago. Setting the clipping aside before I had a chance to read it, she produced an old photograph. Here is the house before it burned. Lovely, isn't it? I nodded. In the picture, I saw a big stone house standing on a hill with a lawn sweeping down to a pond. On the terrace sat three people, a man, a woman, and a girl. The man and the woman sat close together, their hands clasped, but the girl sat apart. Her face turned away. I stared at it, wishing the people were bigger and easier to see. That's Mr. and Mrs. Miller, the librarian said, pointing to the man and the woman. Michael nudged me, and I smiled, relieved that their name was Miller, not Harper. But the librarian wasn't quite finished. And this is Mrs. Miller's daughter, Helen. Helen? I stared into the woman's face, my heart thumping. She nodded and turned the picture over. Someone had written in a spidery, old-fashioned hand, Mabel, Robert, and Mabel's girl, Helen, taken in June 1886 at Harper House. Harper House? It was Michael's turn to ask questions now. I was sure I couldn't have said a word if my life depended on it. Are you certain that's what it's called? Why, of course. It's written right here. The librarian looked at the writing again as if she were double-checking. You see, the house was built a few generations earlier by Harold Harper. It stayed in the family till Mabel's first husband, Joseph Harper, that would be Helen's father, died. When Mabel remarried, her name changed to Miller, but folks kept calling it the Harper House. Unfortunately, Mr. and Mrs. Miller didn't live there long before it burned down. Love this Mary Downing Hahn cameo. Yes. We love to see it. All right. And um, I know you've been waiting for Helen to come. And guess what? She's here. She's here. She's here. And I will be reading for Helen and Kate will be Molly. A crash of thunder brought me to my senses. As startled as someone awakening from a beautiful dream, I cringed from the lightning that forked across the sky. As the rain began falling, I caught sight of Helen and Heather walking hand in hand towards the pond. Heather! I cried, but the rain fell harder, forming a silver curtain between me and the pond, hiding Heather and Helen from me. Running down the hill, slipping and sliding on the wet grass, I reached the pond in time to see Helen leading Heather into the water. The wind blew harder, and the thunder rumbled continuously, muffling my cries. No! Heather! No! I shouted as Helen led her further from the the shore. Kicking off my shoes, I splashed towards them. The water was cold and the lightning terrified me, but I plunged in deeper, trying to keep Heather in sight. It was like chasing someone into a waterfall. When I I was almost in reach of her, I tripped on a tangle of roots and splashed face down in the pond. Sputtering and gasping, I struggled to free my feet, then looked for Heather. She was nowhere in sight. All around me, the rain poured down and the water rose and fell in tiny waves, hiding both Heather and Helen. Terrified, I swam toward the place I had last seen her, then dove beneath the surface, groping for an arm, a leg. Twice I came up for breath, then plunged back into the murk. Finally, my fingers tangled in something I thought was an underwater weed, then recognized as Heather's hair. Grasping the long strands, I yanked her upward, struggling to get her head above water. 
holding her up, I peered through the rain, searching for the shore. I got no help from Heather. She lay still, her eyes closed, her lips blue, her hair floating around her head in dark strings. As I got my bearings and started swimming, towing Heather, I heard a weeping sound. It wasn't the wind in the trees. It wasn't the lapping of water. It was Helen in front of me, behind me, to the right, to the left, sobbing and moaning, clutching at Heather with icy fingers. She begged me to give her back. She's mine. She's mine. Don't take her from me. I felt a terrible chill as her finger seized my ankles. Give her back to me or I'll take you both to the bottom of the pond. Get away. I kicked her viciously. Leave us alone. Give her to me. You must. She has my locket and she's mine. Mine. No. My feet found the bottom and I fumbled for the chain twisted around Heather's neck. Snapping it with my fingers, I hurled the silver heart as far as I could. It disappeared into the rain and I cried, There, take your locket, but not Heather. You can't have her. And like, honestly, Molly, Molly's a hero on so many levels, but one of them is just a lesser child. But I'm like, you know what? Fuck Heather. Just take Heather. That's <laughs> going to solve a lot of my problems if you take Heather. Thanks. Yeah, it was really genuinely touching how Molly was like, don't even like this kid. You can't have her. Yeah. A hero. A hero. <sighs> All right. Uh, you guys want to play some Would You Rather? Let's yeah. do it. Right. Um, early in the book, when they're getting settled in and the kids are unpacking, it's revealed that um, Molly is reading Watership Down throughout the book while Michael favors the Hardy Boys. So I'll ask, would you rather read Watership Down or a Hardy Boys book? Um, I would rather read a Hardy Boys book, probably. Um, I tried to read Watership Down as a kid, and it never really clicked with me. Um, whereas, like, I read a lot of, like, dumb mysteries. And a Hardy Boys book is short and formulaic enough that I could probably speed through it in not a very long amount of time. Yeah, I have the same answer for just about the same reasoning. Watership Down seems like a lot of a lot. Whereas a Hardy Boys <laughs> book is just brain cake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I talked, oh, I think it was on our um, anniversary episode or or not that, our, our summer flashback episode, I know how words work. Whatever it was, when someone wrote it and said their childhood favorite was Watership Down, and I said I was shielded from that book as a child because I hate it when fictional animals die, and it seems like that's all that happens in Watership Down. So <laughs> Exactly. I never read it. I'm not going to read it. Just give me a dumb Hardy Boys book. God. All right. How This is a, a quote also from when... Um, they're talking about why they're moving out of the city, which I forget if we said it was Baltimore, but they're moving out of Baltimore and into the church. And so would you rather live among the cockroaches, pigeons, and rats of the city or live next to a haunted graveyard? You know, like, I feel like I'm at the time in my life when I am struggling with this in general <laughs> of, like, do I want to live? I mean, I, I feel like I'm pretty ideal where I am now. Boston's a small enough city and I'm close enough to it that I can do city things and use public transit for a lot of things. I mean, in the before times. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like, the neighborhood I live in is, like, quiet and residential. Mm -hmm. um, but that is not even with a haunted graveyard as a carrot on a stick. 
I would absolutely rather live next to a haunted graveyard than pretty much anywhere else in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I maybe it is our um, our quarantines speaking and the fact that haunted graveyard sounds like it would have a lot more room to go for nice walks. But also, I mean, it depends on how closely I'm living among the cockroaches, pigeons and rats, but they can't be reasoned with. And maybe a ghost and I could have a conversation if they were doing something I didn't like. Whereas if if a rat is in my room, I can't be like, actually, you're scaring me. Could you leave? <laughs> um, no, I'm t- I'm taking the city pestilence, and and I do have Duarte by my side, which could help with some of this. Mm. Um, and um, you know, if a ghost tries to drown you, I mean, let me know, and I'll try I'll try to help, but. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, would you rather, this is something that Jean cooked, um, a concoction, would you rather eat, quote, a concoction of eggplant, cheese, tomatoes, and bulgur, or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only whole steaks and whole cakes? I mean, I guess it would depend on how you spice the concoction and whether or not the eggplant is roasted mm-hmm. but you could make that good whereas unfortunately I don't eat red meat so I'm going with the concoction mm-hmm. I do I don't like eggplant um, although I do feel like this is like it, this sounds like eggplant, eggplant parm like it doesn't sound that that exotic to me a person who grew up in suburban New Jersey mm-hmm. where Italian food is a plenty um, well, but, I, I think it's the uh, bulgur wheat that makes this veer into the hippie versus just like eggplant parmesan. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I don't like eggplant and I really shouldn't eat cheese. I have been cheating a lot during quarantine and my body is mad at me. Uh, so I'm going to stick with the cheeseless steak, steaks and cakes. Yeah, I, I'm vegetarian, and I, I do eat a lot of, like, casseroles and soups. I, I'm a pretty indifferent cook, and, like, a lot of what I make could be described as a concoction of eggplant. And I, and so for that reason, I'm actually, I'm picking steaks and cakes and just eating a cake because, you know, if someone else made that cake for me, that's good. And then in my own time, I'll I'll be eating plenty of eggplant concoctions <laughs> anyway. That sounds legit. Um, all right. Well, either way, it sounds, sounds delicious, question mark. And uh, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to Wait Till Helen Comes, which I think, you know, if you are looking for like a middle grade ghost story, I think we do all recommend it. If you, you, know, if you haven't read it or want to reread it, holds up. Yeah, um, I would definitely, I do think it holds up. Um, I think that any of Mary Downing Hahn's other books, if you're into this or this sounds like something that you're interested in or your kids might be interested in. Uh, also, I mean, like I haven't read those in a long time, but I think those probably also do hold up uh, in a similar fashion. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different, um, different stuff that I am going to put on the website. Some of it I've talked about a ton before. Um, a couple newer things that I think I haven't talked about a ton before are um, Small Spaces by Catherine Arden, which is maybe my favorite book that I read last year. 
it is just a superbly good middle grade ghost story. It's scarier than this. If this if this sounds like too scary for you, uh, I would maybe skip small spaces. But it also is about um, people dealing with family and loss um, and trying to understand why other kids act the way they do and what's going on in their lives that might cause that um, and kind of banding together to work against supernatural entities. Um, less frustrating parents, better parenting, I would say, uh, but also just a, a very good book. Um, and then this year I read Ghost Squad by Clarabelle Ortega is one of the only books I've read this year in the quarantine times. Also supremely good. Also, um, family is like a strong theme in that, um, and friendship. And, um, this is more of the working against the adults. It's not specifically the family adults, but there are like adults that are the, uh, antagonists, uh, also very spooky, not, I think as spooky as small spaces, but very good. Um, and I would check those two out if you were looking for a, uh, spooky read. Um, so mine is a list of some throwback middle grade horror and some newer middle grade horror. Um, the first you would have heard me talk about if you listen to Flashback Summer, and that's The Dollhouse Murders by Betty Renwright, a uh, classic of our time, and uh, quite spooky. I would say a little bit spookier than Wait, Wait Till Helen Comes. Um, and then if you have not yet tried out the collected works of uh, mystery queen Lois Duncan, uh, you should make that a priority. Maybe start with the book of I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is quite different from the slasher classic of the 90s. Um, this one is, I think, maybe f from around 2010. And I don't recall um, that I have like seen it around too many places, but I loved it when I read it. Uh, so this is The Pricker Boy by Reed Scott Winham. Uh, and it is... Uh, I believe it's set in a vacation community in New England in the off season. And I thought it was quite spooky and I really highly recommend it. I think about it every so often since I've read it. Uh, Ghost Squad is on my list as well, which is delightful. And St. Augustine is near where my parents live uh, and is spooky enough on its own. So I was really excited to see a ghost story set there. And if you want more Southern ghost stories, I recommend Just South of Home by Karen Strong. Uh, which was another read in one sitting kind of book. Um, I, I don't read a lot of scary books, as you as you know, probably. Um, but I'm going to recommend uh, The Valley and the Flood by Rebecca Mahoney, which <laughs> is <clears throat> young adult and not middle grade and not really about ghosts, but it is about how grief might drown you if you're not careful about it. And so thematically... Um, Sure. Thematically, it ties in. It also, it's very good. And you should read it when it comes out. Um, I also read Ghost Squad, by the way, and neither of you mentioned that it has a really good fat cat in it. Yes, and his name is Trunk. Yeah, and he's very fat and very fluffy. And that's, you know, this is so on brand for all of us, by the way. Um, and finally, I just want to say, I, again, I don't read a lot of scary books. I don't read a lot of middle grade books either, necessarily. But I recently read Fighting Words by Kimberly Brubaker Bradley, which is... Not about actual ghosts, but it is about, um, again, really well conveys just kind of the unfairness of, like, being a tween and, like, how 
there's sort of only limited things you can do when the adults in your life are shitty. And it's just emotionally devastating, but in a really good way. And so if you just want like a, a good middle grade book that doesn't have literal ghosts in it, but does have like monstrous adults in it. And um, it's good. It's a good book. And I'm going to tell you about it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for your time. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll have all of these and some other things and probably a comprehensive list of Kate's favorite horror movies up at worstbestsellers.com. <laughs> I see you, Kate. Like, as we talk, you keep adding more horror movies to the notes here. <laughs> and... And for every horror movie that Kate lists, I'm going to add a picture of a fat cat to it. (laughs) I'm not. This is going to be too much work. But just imagine a fat cat, please. Just take a minute to imagine a fat cat. It'll make you happy, probably. Um, Okay, uh, what's our candy pairing for this book? Uh, My candy pairing for this book is a candy apple with, like, a skull carved into it. You know, like spooky for the Halloween season and something that I very much enjoyed as a child. And as an adult, I still somewhat enjoy in moderation, but can see more of uh, and more frustrated by it. I would I will say than I was as a kid, just kind of slapping candy all over my face and not minding. Yeah. Uh, so my candy pairing for this book is a Tootsie Roll Pop, because just like Helen, you have to wait for it. Mm, so true. Uh, mine is a, a sour apple Jolly Rancher because, like I said, we did read this in fourth grade, and Jolly Ranchers were like a hot currency in the fourth grade classroom. And the green apple, when it's like sour when you first put it in, you're kind of like ooh, but then you eat it and you're like, oh, it's not that bad. And that's like how this book is is not that scary. <laughs> it's pretty good, like a like a Jolly Rancher. Um, <laughs> all right, how about uh, our favorite game, the Rock Paper Snicked? where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if you're in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if you're in this book. And Becky will choose which uh, most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would frequently fish for his breakfast. Uh, as we know, he does eat a lot of fish for breakfast. Uh, I guess him and Sir Fitzroy and Mabel Court. Uh, And he would be, like, around the church with Mr. Simmons uh, doing his fishing and would see the way that Heather was acting and lashing out at Molly and Michael. Um, And the way that Dave and Jean were leaving her to be minded by two barely uh, older children whom she was actually actively hostile towards. Uh, So he'd, like, sit down, Jean and Dave, and have, like, a long talk with them, a long talk with them about how Heather very obviously has PTSD and is taking it out on these other children. And even though Dave thinks therapy is bad because fuck Dave, uh, he's the rock. So he would able to uh, be able to sweet talk them into putting her in therapy anyway. And the whole family would follow and learn to communicate better and be more sensitive to each other's feelings and needs. That's so wholesome. I love the rock. It is. All right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, um, as we know, Wolverine, uh, very old. Uh, so he would have come into the story in the 1880s and um, just passing through town as he does. He's, you know, he's a, he roams the world. And he would happen to be there when the Miller house caught on fire. Um, he would have saved Helen and her family from the fire and uh, 
and taught Helen how to control her her telekinetic abilities as a living girl rather than as a ghost girl. Um, And so she would grow up to become the spooky caretaker of the graveyard. And by the time Michael and Molly get there, she's um, like a very old woman, but she's still like with it. And um, she'll teach the kids cool ghost stories uh, without trying to drown them. Wow. I love these both so much. And it's really hard to choose. I will choose the rock scenario by a hair because... Uh, it addresses Dave's anti-therapy bias and brings them closer as a family. Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. And again, what well, we've arrived at the moral of the story, and one of the morals of the story, I think, is just fuck Dave. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Therapy uh, is important. Stop stigma against mental health care. Fuck yes. Dave. Fuck Dave. Um, and, um, well, and this ties into what my originally stated moral of the story is, which is just, um, believe women, specifically Molly, believe Molly. Justice for Molly. Uh, yes. 100%. Uh, my moral of the story is watch your dang kids. And my moral of the story is eldest daughters deserve hazard pay. Mm. Do we ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, this is three eldest daughters. Um, this is very powerful. <laughs> very po- powerful um, assembly here. Um, all right. Well, now it's now it's time to hear from my son. Um, it's, time for, <laughs> it's time for Duarte's corner, <laughs> or my troubled tween Duarte will share his opinions about the book. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, Duarte, I think you are so right. I think that Graveyard should have had a cat in it. I think, I think that would have just added to the spookiness, but also maybe would have been nice. Molly could have pet a cat when she was upset about how shitty Heather and Dave are. Um, yeah. And I mean, you do have a good point that if they had a cat, maybe he would have been able to keep the rats at bay and the parents wouldn't have been so cranky about living in the city. That's true. Great point also. Yeah. All right. Well, Dorade, thanks as ever for your opinions and all your hard work that you do. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Uh, this book holds up. It really does. I really enjoyed reading it again. And now I think I am going to read a whole bunch of middle grade horror until the spookiest day of the year. Yes. Well, not me. I don't read anymore, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, 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 I support you in your endeavor. I'm trying, man. <laughs> um, yeah, even um, this book holds up. It's not too scary, but it has a really rich emotional inner life to it. It should have a cat in it, but nevertheless. Um, all right. Well. Happy, you know, happy almost Halloween, everyone. I know this year Halloween's probably going to look different than it has in years past. I was going to say, so maybe listen to this podcast with your kids if you can't take them trick-or-treating. But I do say fuck a lot. I was just going to say don't. Well, you know what? If your kids are already saying fuck, then (laughs) it's fine. Um, (laughs) You know what? I, and also I, 
I have been feeling bad because we keep being like, oh, these are neglectful parents. And I know a lot of parents right now are just like losing their minds because their kids can't go to school safely or can't like do these activities. And, you know, and that's actually another beef against Gene and Dave is like their kids could have gone to science camp and their kids could have gone to art camp. But they were like, no, you have to you have to stay home in the graveyard instead. Especially because right. the implication is they've already paid at least the deposit for these things. Right. right. Weren't they supposed to not have money? Right. You're not in a pandemic, Gene. Let your kids go to science camp. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think it was a day camp because she said she couldn't drive them into the city every day. So maybe there's mm. sort of a, a gas cost in there. But also, she, also they needed a babysitter for Heather and didn't want to pay a real one. Mm. Anyway, so all this to say, I'm not, I'm not judging you pandemic parents. Like, I don't know how, it sounds really hard. I'm glad that Duarte's life has remained unchanged by pandemic. And I don't, (laughs) I don't know what to do with a human child during this time. It seems very difficult. And so you're all doing great. You're all doing great. Your kids are doing fine. Um, Unless they do start talking about a ghost that's trying to drown them, and then you should look into that, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Anyway, if you want to talk to us about any of that, um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook and Instagram, we're Worst Bestsellers, spelled normally. And on Twitter, we're at Worst Bestseller with no S. The S was lost in a fire. Um, but I'm starting to think maybe people didn't actually look too hard for the S and it might just be like beneath a slightly rotted floorboard. (laughs) Maybe we should go look for the S. Um, we also have a Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com. You can find us at Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon now, I guess has a podcast thing. Uh, and we're there anywhere, basically anywhere you find podcasts, you know where the podcast places are and you know how to find a podcast uh, if you use your own app. That's, you know, you know, because you're listening to it right now. Yeah, you already do. Um, unless, you you're, unless you're a child whose parent is playing this for you. Yeah. <laughs> Which, sorry about all the F words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, if you do subscribe to us on any of those platforms, um, please rate and review. Uh, when you rate and review, it pushes us up a bit on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us, unlike the corpses of uh, Helen's parents. You know, I'd like us to be a little bit more visible than that. You can also uh, subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay our hosting, um, pay a transcriptionist to transcribe some of our episodes for us, um, pay artists to make merch designs, which uh, and you get all sorts of things in exchange, like a newsletter that we send out and postcards and stickers and stuff mm-hmm. in theory. Uh, we need to get on that. Uh, I, but also we do have that merch available. Okay. You can get to it by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch. Mm-hmm. We also have a discord group. If you would like to join us uh, and chat about all sorts of things like the episodes and books and twilight and cooking and people's pet pictures and tabletop RPGs, uh, so you can go to worstbestsellers.com and click the link to join us there as well. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of ways. Just a lot of ways you can talk to us about the ways in which we're spiraling during this pandemic. 
Yes. Get full documentation of all the ways. Um, Becky, where can where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cafe Cliche. That's uh, Cafe Cliche without any spaces or underscores. Uh, and I promise you that once Becky Lee should go pre-order her book, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> um, but also, uh, I guarantee you that once it is out, we will be talking about it. So, oh. yes. Um, Thank you. I'll continue to talk about it. Uh, I, I read an advanced copy of it and it was supposed to come out. I, can I say it was supposed to come out in October? Yeah. Go for so it. we scheduled this because it was supposed to come out in October, but then because of the pandemic, the and I know other books had their deadlines or their pub dates changed too. Cause like, I don't know, the pandemic is using all the paper or like, yeah, like, no, Miss <laughs> Rona is printing a whole bunch of personal copies of like her medical records. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't just shortages, you know, it's cause we made too much toilet paper and now they can't print books. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how it That's works. my conspiracy theory. Um, it's it's something like that. Anyway, it'll be worth the wait though. It's it's sincerely a good book, and I'm not just saying that because Becky's great. Um, because I really did like it, and if I didn't, I would just pretend like I hadn't read it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that on all fronts. Uh, um, but I did read it, and I did really like it, and you'll like it too once once it's out. Exactly. Which, yeah. And once Miss Rona stops printing her memoir. Yeah. Like, please, we've been through so much. Um, I think I forgot to say my Twitter's at Renata Snacks, but you probably know that already. Yeah, um, I have been, I don't know, maybe by October I will no longer be on hiatus, but probably that's incorrect. Um, I have been on Twitter hiatus, uh, but you can follow me on all the other social medias and Twitter for when I come back at 14 across. Um, and speaking of coming back, we'll be back in two weeks um, with a book that I'm very excited to read. And it's called The Wig, The Bitch, and The Meltdown by Jay Manuel from America's Next Top Model. And this is a book that I had to talk to because I only order teen books for the library. And none of the libraries had ordered this. And so I had to go to my boss who does adult collections and be like, Oh, um, can you just pick up a copy of The Wig, The Bitch, and The Meltdown, please? And she did, and that's great. But it was, um, it was a little embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? She should be embarrassed for not already having this on order, frankly. This this undoubtedly classic work of literature. (laughs) excited i guess to talk about it um so we'll be back in two weeks to do that yes um all right everyone take care and stay safe and don't drown please yes (laughs) Bye. bye I do think this recording is probably haunted by an actual ghost.